you're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by the Nazarene Student Center at the University of Oklahoma. Committed to sharing Christ's love with the students at OU, the OUNSC is meeting them wherever they are. For more information about the OUNSC or to have them come speak to your group, visit OUNSC.org or search for them on social media at the OUNSC. Today on the podcast, we have Pastor Rachel James. Thanks for tuning in. and I'm here with my guest, Rachel James. Rachel is the senior pastor of Cushing Church of the Nazarene in Oklahoma. Say hello. Hello. So the first question I ask everyone is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Um, my grandpa would like me to tell you that my great-grandmother um, was a Methodist holiness um, woman. She even did some preaching before that was a thing. Wow. Um, and so that's how he grew up. She he was she was playing piano in their Methodist Holiness Church, but he grew up and left for the Air Force and kind of fell away from the church. But when they were stationed in England, there was a little lady that was doing Nazarene missions work on the base in England, and invited them to Nazarene Church, and so they became Nazarene um, in England. And wow. um, it just wherever they got stationed, they just found their little Nazarene church and. Um, became lay people, and so they've been. La- they were lay people. He says he's only not a lay person now because he can't be. So he's like almost ninety. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, so my dad um, is a pastor, also in the denomination. He pastors in Mineral Wells, Texas, and so I grew up in the church. I was real convinced I did not want to be a pastor <laughs> because when you grow up in that environment a lot of times you see both sides the mm-hmm. good and the bad of yeah. the church and I just did not think that that was what I wanted um but I never didn't want to be Nazarene mm. I just didn't want to be a pastor um but I came to college and I quickly found out that I wasn't okay with just sitting in a pew mm. um I thought oh, college, my parents aren't here, I can go to church when I want, I can do whatever I want, you know, it was great. Um, And I tried a few churches where I could have very easily just been a participant, and it just never quiets out right Mm. with me. So tell me more about your your call to ministry. How did you end up being a pastor? Okay, so um, in eighth grade, I went to NYC in Houston Mm -hmm. and had a phenomenal experience, and... um, while D. Kelly was speaking, of all people, um, I felt like I wanted to be a missionary. Wow. And so, obviously, SNU was on the table from the, you know, day one of college inception. But um, if you want to be a missionary, I feel like you probably have to take a course from Howard Culbertson at some point, or at least talk to him. That's right. Um, and so... Um, I was very excited, but I knew from talking to several other people who have been in the mission field recently, um, Cheryl Crouch is a good friend of mine, um, and she had just said, well, if you're going to go, you should have something to do, you know, Mm. be a teacher, be a doctor, do something to go with being a missionary, especially if you don't want to preach. Cool. 
And so I came to SNU with the idea that I would double major in education and missions. Wow. Except that when I got there, that's not really actually a possibility unless you want to be at SNU for a really long time. <laughs> I I kept trying and doors kept closing. And so I just changed to just a straight education major thinking, well, I can take an it's SNU. I can take a theology course mm-hmm. here or there. Like, I can pick up those things. I can do missions at NTS maybe or whatever. You know, like, I can pick it up. I'll do the education thing. And then that way, if there's a gap between when I actually am able to go to the mission field, I'll have a career. I, you know, I can teach. It's not making a ton of money, but you can live on it. This seems like a smart idea. Yeah, you know, really, I had a logical plan. It was great. <laughs> well, freshman year, my second semester, I took... Uh, what is now the Christian Faith in Life class, Got but it. it was Christian Thought then, and I took it from Tim Crutcher, and it completely just upset my apple cart, mm. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Um, he just really had a way of talking about things that made sense, mm-hmm. and but also really challenged where I was coming from. Um, I came from a very conservative background, very uh, legalistic at times, and... Um, he just was talking about God's love in such a way that was free and mm. open and inviting and so much more than just this all-powerful God that saves people and then waits for them to screw up. Like, it was just this open, loving God who walks with us in relationship and, like, uh, anyway, it was just amazing. And so out of that, we began to talk um, you and Dr. Doc, me and Dr. Carter, and um, just about my past and like why I was doing what I was doing, and I wrote some papers for him in that class, and he just was really impressed with the way that I process things, and um, I had told him that I was really frustrated because I couldn't find a church where I felt like I fit because mm. I had come from this small church background, and you know, like BFC was just super overwhelming because. Mm. I come from churches of less than 100, and that's just a really different change. And I didn't have a car and, like, all these things. And he was like, well, this was in the spring, and we were getting ready to leave for summer. And so he said, well, when you come back, you should come to church with us at Piedmont. Mm. And I said, okay, I'll, you know, it was before summer, you know. Um, When I got back, um, I actually ended up working for them that fall, like, cleaning their house and keeping their kids. And I did go to church at Piedmont. And... It was such a weird sensation because I walked in and immediately felt at home. Mm. And that's only happened to me a couple of other times in my life, but just like, oh, these are my people. Mm. Like, oh, this is where we belong. And my husband is from a very different background, and we were dating at the time. And, you know, when you're first dating, you don't do anything without them. So, right. Um, <laughs> But he had the same feeling, and that's very strange because I'm the extra extrovert, and he's pretty typical introvert. And mm-hmm. so, like, for us to both feel that about the same group of people was pretty incredible. But we did, and we went, we started going to church there. And I started volunteering with the youth um, just because that you're a college kid, like, and I have to be involved because I'm an extrovert. So, right. Um, youth ministry. Youth ministry, fun, you know. Um, and so, through that, I started kind of feeling maybe like I needed to do this ministry thing. Mm. But I always thought, 
Okay, so maybe this youth ministry thing. I'm doing this ed degree. By this time, I had changed my ed degree from elementary to um, secondary history, uh, mostly because <laughs> Bev DeVries, who I love to this day and will always love her for saying this, looked at me and said, I love you. You'll be a great teacher, but you cannot teach elementary school. You'll make children cry. You're too sarcastic. <laughs> like, she literally said that. Um, and, Amazing. And I thank her for it every day because she's so right. Um, but I had changed, and so I was thinking, okay, so this will be great because I could go be part-time youth minister somewhere, and I can still teach, and, like, it'll overlap, and it'll be great, and, like, my students could possibly be in my youth group, and, like, mm. it'll just, oh, it's just great. Synergy. Look at God's just so wonderful. And I just kept thinking this is so great. Um, because I wasn't a religion major, I didn't do the formal intern program. Mm. But Pastor Derek Aker at Piedmont um, made me an intern. I mean, he treated me just the same as all the rest of the interns. And, mm. That's awesome. Um, so one of the requirements is that you have to preach. Mm. <laughs> so this is now spring of my junior year. Um, I have taken some religion. Like, instead of taking the gen ed level of religion courses, I took the the ones for majors Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I've done some of that but I've never put a sermon together before I've never done anything even close to that I've given a devotional to a youth group but like nothing more than that yeah um and so this is me on a Sunday night I'm gonna preach and there's the added bonus pressure that Tim PhD wife PhD (laughs) Britt Montgomery PhD (laughs) and Derek MDiv very well-respected pastor are all going to be in the audience for this very first sermon. Sure. And, you know, with Montgomery, you're always like, oh, my goodness, I have to triple thousand check this for logical fallacies because (laughs) he's going to catch it. And then he's a he's a professor of philosophy there. Right. And and teaches the logic class. And um, it's just a very logical thinker. I think that's what you'd want for that professor anyway but um so a lot of pressure Mm. and but Derek just walked me through the process he said Mm -hmm. okay so I really want you to preach from the Old Testament so can you think of a passage of scripture that from the Old Testament that has meant something to you Mm. um and I ended up preaching on um Abraham's uh, sacrifice of Isaac Mm. and the idea that when we when we accept God's call in our life, we have to be all in. Mm. We just have to, to go for it. And um, God doesn't do apathy. God doesn't, that's, I feel like that's the meaning, for me, that's been the meaning of the place where he says, um, be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. Mm. I don't do the middle ground. Like, I want you all the way. And so um, that's what he preached on. And um, I preached for 45 minutes, and Derek wow. comes Derek comes up to me afterwards, and he's like, I have never had a first sermon run 45 minutes, ever. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry? And he was like, no, it was really good. Like, you didn't ramble or anything. I just was impressed. And um, after that, like, it went well, and... Um, I really enjoyed it, like, Mm. after I got over the fact that I was preaching to all these, like, semi-important people. Right. um, Each one of those people came to me individually and said, this is the best first sermon I've ever heard. If you don't end up in a pulpit, I don't think that you're doing, I think you're missing out on something that God has for you. Mm. (sighs) And by this point, 
um, Dr. Crutcher and um, his wife have just made me family. So mm. he's like big brother mentor at this point, and he's just like, I just really think that you have to pray about being a senior pastor. Mm. Like you just, you have to do it. You have to pray about it. Mm. And so, but this is spring of my junior year. Mm-hmm. My senior year, um, I'm engaged. We're getting married. Like, and so right out of the gate, I take an associate job in downtown. Oklahoma City, and um, it was a really difficult experience. I, um, it's hard for to explain, but in that, it was a urban, very urban setting, which is something I'm not used to. It was cross cultural, which mm. <laughs> thinking that originally I wanted to be a missionary, and then thinking about this experience is kind of comical because I'm just very like whoa, this does not fit me. Um, But I learned a lot of things during that time. And one of them was just that I like the formation of people. Mm. I like being involved at a level that's not grunt work, that's not, like, super specific, but that just invites people to come in and be a part. And then I get to help you learn about Jesus. I get to help you learn that, there's this God that loves you, and he's a transformational God. Like, not only does he love you right now while you have all these bumps and bruises and whatever, but he also wants to heal your bumps and bruises and, like, make you into something more. And I learned that at that in that very difficult assignment. And then things kind of went south financially, and they ended up turning that church into a Latino church. And... Um, I let we moved to Duncan and I was going to be the youth pastor there. Um, and in Duncan, I learned that youth ministry is not my thing. <laughs> That's so funny. Like now, I love those kids and I still love them. Mm. But I went to a youth camp and I was like, I am not, I'm not fun enough for mm. this group of people. It does not thrill me to play water polo on a slip and slide where I could, like, seriously injure myself and possibly did. Um, It does not thrill me to wrestle in mud or scream or whatever. Like, I can get into it because it's youth camp, you know. You can kind of tap into your inner teenager somewhere back there. But it just wasn't. (laughs) Not your jam. It wasn't my jam. And I, at that point, began praying very seriously. Okay, Lord. Mm. So maybe this is, maybe this is a thing. Like, maybe Crutcher's not crazy. Maybe, maybe this is what you're calling me to do. And about the time that I started being okay with it, my senior pastor moved to Anaheim. And um, so, obviously, as a staff person, that leaves you kind of not knowing what what's next. Sure. Um, because the next person comes in has complete, in the Church of Nazarene, has complete in total, you know, they don't have to keep you right? just because you were on staff for the other guy. Mm-hmm. Now, the church board in Duncan voted to keep us as long as, you know, until they found a new pastor. And so it wasn't that kind of upheaval, but it was just a very clear, like, okay. And so when I sent out my resume, I sent out, I had had my district license for a couple of years at that point, and I sent it out, hey, you know, this is my background, but I really feel like God's calling me to senior pastoral minister. So I got a call from the district. Anyway, that's kind of how I ended up in Cushing, but it's just been a very 
I guess God knows that I'm a slow learner because it's been a very calculated process. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to call you to ministry. You're going to think that you want to do the farthest thing from what you know, which was missions work. Like, But that's not really what I have for you. So I'm going to gradually draw you back in. Mm. And um, I'm going to give you this really loving support group to help you through that because it's going to be a really painful process for you to think about doing that kind of ministry that you've thought you were ne- would never do. Right. Um, and so it's just been very, like, a growing pain kind of thing. No mm. more than you can handle. But I'm going to stretch you to handle it. Mm. And so that's kind of how I ended up in, as a, with the call to senior pastoral ministry. I get really jealous of people that have a very defined call story. You know, like... Um, I was at camp, and God told me I was going to be a pastor, and Mm. I just, that's not how it happened for me, but I think God knows what he's doing, and I think that he knows that if he had said, you're going to be a pastor, I would have probably run very far away, so that was a way of keeping, you know, you keep yourself connected, and Mm. and then just the right people at the right time. hugely passionate about church as community because of my experience with Piedmont. Um, shout out guys. You're awesome. If any of you listen to the podcast, (laughs) but, um, they, they were so loving and Mm. so understanding and Derek put so much trust, so much trust in someone. I didn't have any, any reason. Um, I wasn't an intern at SNU and didn't, wasn't professing any kind of call to ministry at this point, but he believed in you. He believed, and that's probably why I'm able to do this at all, but um, it was a long journey, but I mm. I do. Every time I get up to preach, I am reminded that I'm where I'm supposed to be, mm. so, yeah. So, so kind of finish that story. Tell us how you ended up at Cushing. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I sent out my resume, and... Um, my daughter was like six months old at this point and so we're still not sleeping really well and I'm tired and I remember a number of of nights of just coming my husband coming home and um sitting on the couch and just being like what are we gonna do Mm. like how are we gonna do this you know um it's not like living in Duncan was lucrative but it was stable Mm. and so how are we gonna what how do we do this and nobody was calling and nobody was calling and I just I didn't even know if I was going about I had never really all of the jobs that I had gotten I had gotten because somebody said hey this person is looking for x or mm-hmm. um, I happened to meet somebody at a meeting that needed a youth pastor you know like that's how all of I've gotten all of my jobs and so I was like I don't even know if I applied the right way right. like that's a beef with the church of the Nazarene is that we don't have a centralized like we do, but not everybody uses it, the right, job board. Right. So um, anyway, but I was like, I don't even know if I did it right. What if nobody calls? What are we going to do? You know, mm. <laughs> what do we do? Um, and about three months into just praying really hard, um, the district superintendent from Northeast Oklahoma called, um, and he said, so I've got this church, and it's a small church, but they need a, they need a pastor, and I think they need someone young. Mm. They don't know that but they do and I said and he said would you be willing to interview 
Um, and I said, of course. Do you have a sense for why he wanted somebody young? He thought they needed somebody young? I do now. Oh, right, okay. Um, I don't think I did when I met them initially. Sure. Um, he said, would you be willing to interview? And I said, sure. And he said, well, I'm going to call my reference. Re- I'll call your references, and then we'll set up an interview. So he called my references, which are like <laughs> Tim Crutcher and Derek Aker mm-hmm. and um, my senior pastor, Doug Gonzalez. And so um, he called, and we did a Skype interview first because um, it about, it's about two and a half hours from Duncan. Oh, wow. And they wanted to kind of move, and I was like, well, I can't just have a life like I teach, so yeah. I can't just in the middle. So we had a Skype interview, um, and it was... <laughs> was hilarious um (laughs) I love my ladies but they had never done anything like that before right and um so they're like you can tell they're trying to figure out like how I'm sitting on the screen because they keep like looking (laughs) sideways and (laughs) and uh, it was super cute um but we talked and um they ended up saying you know we really feel like our church needs to start over Mm. And we want to do something that we haven't done before. Wow. Um, And I said, okay. So that went well. um, Dr. McKelts had told me before I talked to them that they had two candidates probably three or four weeks. And he called and he said, they'd really like you to come for an in-person interview. And I said, well, that's going to be a little bit difficult because I'm preaching on Sundays right now because during the interim. Sure. And um, he said, well, how about you come for a Friday? We'll do a big dinner. You can kind of just share in a testimonial kind of way. Mm. Um, And they can meet you. And then uh, we'll go from there. And so we did that. And we... Again, that sense of just, oh, God wants us to do something here. And at first, I was a little skeptical um, just because we were so desperate for an answer, for, for God's movement, for something that said, this is what we're supposed to do. And so I was like, am I emotively like jumping the gun here? Mm. Um, but my husband really felt like somehow, some way, this is where we were supposed to be. Wow. And so we had talked on our way up there that about financially what they would have to be able to offer us and that they would have, that we interviewed in December, but I was in the middle of a teaching contract. So they would have to be okay with us finishing teaching contract because we could not afford to pay it out, which is what you have to do. Oh, wow. So we were like, that'll be really clear. <laughs> Fleece, so to speak, because that's what we have to do. Yeah. And I went in, and the first thing they say is, so we know that you're a teacher, and it would be really helpful to us if you could finish your teaching contract. Would that be okay with you? Wow. <laughs> I said, okay, Lord. <laughs> and I said, okay, yes, because I really, we need to do that. And it would give us some time to um, leave with dignity from where we were. Sure. Because they were very good to us um, and was definitely not leaving in, a, in a, any kind of sense of bitterness or anything like that. They're wonderful people. Love Duncan. 
still have friends, still go and visit. You know, they're good people. Mm -hmm. Um, So we wanted to leave appropriately with them. And um, so I said, yeah, that'd be really helpful. And then they offered the exact amount of money that my husband had said that they had to offer. (laughs) And I said, okay, (laughs) I guess that's it. Um, and so they, we stayed the night and they showed us the parsonage the next day. It's a very nice parsonage and we prayed about it and we moved and, um, it has been a roller coaster first year, but, Mm. um, I just, June was a year. So June 1st. So, um, it's been crazy and hard and uh, not anything like I expected, mm. but better, mm. I think. As far as formation of persons goes, it, it's been really good. That's awesome. Yeah. Can you tell <clears throat> me a little bit about your experience now being a female senior pastor? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, it definitely is a man's world. Um, I don't mean that ugly. I just mean that there was a learning curve for me mm. as far as people's expectations. Um, it's been really interesting to train my people to understand that my husband is a husband, um, (laughs) that he is working full time, um, that he is not a cook or, um, a homemaker. Um, he's very much, um, he's a therapist, a mental health therapist. So, um, his job is taxing at times. Um, and so, it's been really interesting to see how the constructs of the church are kind of set up towards a pastor's wife that stays home, that is always available for potlucks and la 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 and having people in the home and that kind of thing. Um, and so it's been very interesting to navigate the waters of a system that's kind of set up for that mm. instead of two working people. Just as many expectations for him as there are for Right. You. So that's been different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also is different that I'm the extrovert and he's the introvert. So um, that's something that's hard sometimes for people to... He's not rude. <laughs> he's just not a people person. Sure. Um, and so in the beginning... It helps that our church was so small, um, so it wasn't like this overwhelming thing to step into. Um, but I learned a lot about how to talk to people, like about, you know, um, my husband's super musically um, gifted, mm. but he doesn't want to be in charge of anything. Mm. Like he doesn't mind helping, but he doesn't want to run the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so helping them understand, he doesn't have a call to ministry. Right. Like. This is not his gig. Right, right. Um, We're not co-pastoring, like, none of that, which is awesome for people that do that, but we're not that. Sure. Um, You know, they had all these things that they did, and they were scheduled at 5 o'clock. Well, he works in Stillwater, which is, like, 30 minutes away, Mm. um, and doesn't get off till 5. So there were some things like that. Um, Like I said, my church board, or I was telling you earlier, my church board is all female, And so um, the church itself is pretty used to a matriarchy. Like, (laughs) they um, haven't really had a whole lot of pushback against 
um, female, the fem- my femaleness at the local level. Mm. Um, they're very, very good. I have learned that as a female, I have to speak up. Yes. Um, I can't. I can't allow the system to override what I think. Mm. Um, so we did um, a coaching group on our district for first-year senior pastors. Wonderful experience, if for no other reason than that you get to be with the DS once a month. It's scheduled. Wow. Um, and, you know, you get to see him in a smaller setting where he's not, like, trying to talk to everyone in the room. Sure. And um, it was really great. But I learned in that group my thoughts and opinions are also important. Like, it's not that I'm just doing this. I'm also trying to create a space for other people to do this. Yes. I recognize that, like, you know, our denomination, while we have always from our inception said that we support females in ministry, um, has not always done a good job of um, living into that mm. belief. And so... I'm recognizing now, as I think about the fact that in the state of Oklahoma, at this moment, I think there are four in the whole state, female senior pastors. Mm. I'm realizing that, especially in this part of the country, maybe not so much on the coast, I don't know, but especially in this part of the country, uh, I'm blazing a trail. Mm. Um, And so I want to be... I want to be doing that in a way that invites other people to do that. Yeah. Um, and that means that I just can't sit back and do my own thing, which I think sometimes in the face of confrontation, that's what my MO is to just chill and <laughs> let it go. Um, and I haven't had to be confrontational about anything, so don't get me wrong. You know, when speaking up about things that, probably should change like when I was on the previous district they were still calling it pastors and wives retreat Mm. and I said okay (laughs) it's not that hard to change it to ministers and mates retreat um I'm not the only female in ministry Mm. on this district like being intentional about our language yes and And then also being intentional about the activities that you have planned Mm. at said retreat like there are going to be men in the spouse part of the retreat that yeah. are not pastors. Sure. So you can't, like, go get manicures. Well, I guess you can. Some men really like that. But, I mean, you can't do something that's explicitly female. Yeah. Because you're going to have men in that group. Sure. Yeah. And they're going to feel excluded. Yeah. Um, similarly, let's not plan a golf outing. Because not everybody golfs. Mm. Um, and a lot of females especially don't golf. So can we do something... That invites more people in. Mm. And I always think that working for inclusion, no matter what, the group that's being excluded is always a good thing. So I think maybe that's one of the things that I like about being a female senior pastor is, like, I get to do that. I get to be on the front lines of working for inclusion of females in our denomination. Mm. So it's good times. But, yeah, I have a very atypical female senior pastor story just because my local church is so... Like, it's just not a big deal. <laughs> They're totally on board with They're totally cool, yeah. They're just, they are who they are. They're super, they are super strong women, all mm. of them. And so, 
this is the kind of support that you need. And they're super understanding of the first, the the first time senior pastor bobbles like reports and all of those things that you're just really there is no good way to prepare you for that Mm. um super understanding of that super supportive so I don't know it's just not a typical experience at all but I do enjoy on the larger scale being like yes females can do this job and we can do it well and there are things that we bring to the table um I feel like one of the things that this church really needed this particular local church really needed was a nurturer Mm. they'd had a lot of distant pastors Mm. um and they needed that and i think that there are times when there are churches that need that Mm. they need to be they need to be a community again as i look back over the year i enjoy preaching but i'm not the best preacher in the denomination by any means i enjoy um doing you know our Wednesday night prayer meeting and stuff but I'm not you know a big deal on that but I think what I do really well is invest in relationships and I do make people feel loved and Mm -hmm. apart and important and so you know I think that we can we bring things to the table that are important to be at the table Mm -hmm. and so it's it's fun to be a part of kind of on the it's hard sometimes but it's fun to be on the front line of bringing women to the to the table I love that tell us a little bit more about um what it's like to be the senior pastor in Cushing (laughs) well it is uh it's challenging um they have had a rough probably last 15 years which is kind of sad to say but um so they're not they're not doing really well financially um and they uh they needed a lot of love mm-hmm. when i got there um they also needed some bigger picture thinking and um that has been the hardest thing i think because they are they're of the generation that God will always provide. Mm-hmm. And that's true. But his provision doesn't always look like what we think it should look like or what we need it to look like. Sure. Or it might be providing for something else. And so um, they, we did this year and they paid me what they promised to pay me. And um, I went to them in April after praying and being frustrated and trying to balance budgets and uh and talking with lots of people that are way wiser than me that have used, been through it and mm. have used all kinds of things. I um, I went to them in April and I said, I really think wish that you guys would pray and consider letting me be back vocational next year. Mm. Just for a year. Um, <clears throat> but I can teach and that will pay our bills. Um, and it will give the church some space to do some much needed things. Um, mm. We've got some repairs on the building that need to be done that have just been put off because you don't have any money. Um, you got to pay the pastor. At first, they were very against it. They were like, no, we offered to pay you a salary. We're going to pay you a salary. Like, we promised that we'd do that. And I just said, I'm your leader, and let's think about how Jesus led. Mm. Jesus led through sacrifice. Mm. 
He led by example. Mm. I can't call you to put your all in to this if I'm not willing to put my all in. Um, and this is something I can do for the church. Wow. And it's easy enough, yeah. easy enough to do. And so they said, okay, we'll think about it. And about that time, the principal, I would, last year I just did a part-time um, reading intervention thing at a rural school district outside of Cushing. Um, and my principal came to me about the same time and said, we really need you to be full-time next year. Mm. Would you consider it? <laughs> Which was a huge answer to prayer. I love my school, love the administration I work with, love the people I teach with. Um, and I was really, like, dreading trying to go, and especially in the current climate with mm. layoffs and all of this stuff. And um, so I was just like, uh, yes, <laughs> I would like to do that. Let me make sure it's okay with my board. Um, and about that time, they came back to me and said, I think it'll be a good thing. Mm. And so it just all kind of worked out that way. Um, But my day-to-day is just loving on people and trying to make the most out of of what we do have. Um, Trying to teach them how to take risk differently Mm. um, and how to be together. Um, they had never had a pastor invite them into their home, wow. into the parsonage, wow. um, before I got there. So that's something that I do, try to do on a semi-regular basis. Um, we are busy, but I, I do try to have them in my home. Um, really just, and God has kind of shaped my, changed my heart for them. Um, when I came in, I, well... They're very typical, like, measures of success in our church. And whether they're the right ones or not, it's neither here nor there. But we measure success in numbers and in money and in being able to pay your budgets and all of these things. And in the first six months of being there, it was very obvious that that's not going to happen for this church this year. Mm. It might not even happen for this church next year. Mm. Who knows? Um, And... So I began to pray because I was very frustrated and I was like, well, what do I do then? How do I do this if I'm not going to be able to make the like umbrella standard of good? Like, how do I think about this? Mm. And God just really began to work on my heart about making our church a safe place, Mm. making our church a community making our church a family, a people that are connected to one another, um, that feel with one another, that bear with one another. Um, Very much the idea, Wesley's small group idea. And he said, I just remember having this very frustrated conversation with God and just getting the feeling of, that way, no matter what happens, whether the church blows up and you're fine or whether it dwindles and dies, whatever happens, you have each other. Mm. Whatever happens, there's a community. Wow. Because if the, and you know, I still don't have any clear, like, this is where we're headed kind of thing, but I know that we're going to head that way together 
and we're going to try to do the very best that we can to love every person that walks through our door. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really exciting for me. One of my board members has a son um, who is homosexual, and he lives in Washington, D.C. She turned 90 in May, and so he was visiting with his partner, um, and his partner came to church with him. Um, basically on the testimony of the son that I was loving and caring and would not make him feel ostracized or um, cast out or any of those things. Um, And for me, that was a huge moment Mm. in my ministry um, just to realize that, yeah, I am doing something right. People feel safe. Mm. People can come here people want to come here we may not grow and we may not be the the new hot thing in Cushing which is kind of funny in a town of 9,000 anyway but um we will be a safe place Mm -hmm. and we will be a place where people can be themselves as they learn how to grow in God's grace and so that's kind of what I spend my days doing now is dreaming about how can I make it more safe? How can I make it, how can I talk to more people? What can we do so that people can know we're here? Mm-hmm. How can we change what our our look and feel is in a way that doesn't leave my current parishioners in the dirt? Because they're important. They're mm-hmm. the backbone. Yeah. Um, but that also invites people that have never been in a church setting to come in and feel comfortable. But we'll see what happens. That's awesome. What would you say is your favorite part of being senior pastor at Cushing, <laughs> Oklahoma? Well, um, the silly answer is that I love to play cards with my my little ladies. They're sassy, and <laughs> they, we play cards on Friday night, and they... Um, they always tell me, okay, pastor, we don't have to be nice because it's Friday night. <laughs> and so they sass and they're competitive and it is it is always a good time. And we just enjoy, it's a moment of enjoying life together. At that moment, they're not old and I'm not young. Mm. We're just playing cards and being sassy and eating really awesome desserts because they're all fantastic cooks and just having a good time together and I think they get to step out of their lives and I get to step out of mine for a moment and we just around a table playing cards we're just all in the same playing field and it's a wonderful experience so that's a silly answer but the real answer is that I do love to preach oh it's it's wonderful and I never thought that I would say that never in a million years writing that first sermon would I think that I would look and say preaching is my favorite part of being a pastor but it really is and I think that the reason is that God has been extremely faithful to point me in the ways that not only help them but stretch me Mm. I feel like in preaching I find different than any other spiritual discipline for me I find myself being called and challenged and changed because I know that if I'm going to stand up in front of my people and say something, that I'm going to have to live it too. That it's part, that's my, that's my call too. 
And so I always do, <laughs> one of the things I do when I'm preaching is I have in front of the pulpit moments and I tell them, like, I'm not pastor right now. I'm just mm. Rachel, mm. like, here in front of you. And um, I say, you know, this is, this is hard for me. Like, this truth is hard for me. It's not easy to stand up and preach this this morning because this is somewhere I struggle. Mm. Um, and I don't do it all the time, obviously, or it doesn't lose its effect. But, um, like, they have all come to me and been like, we've never had anybody be vulnerable from the pulpit. And I'm oh, like, wow. how do you preach and not be vulnerable? And I think that's one of the things that I love. It's another thing I love about preaching is just the opportunity to be soul to soul with my people like no I'm not some preacher on a pedestal no I don't have this all figured out no like I just don't and there there are questions that you're going to ask me and the answer is going to be I don't know because I don't but there there are truths that we can stand on there are truths that are important and you know I tell them every Sunday God loves you in a mm. crazy way that you don't you can't even can't even think about. Like there's no think about how much you love your kids and then multiply that by like 500 and that's God. You know, like it's just this huge infinite thing. Mm. And I try to remind them of of the big truths that God doesn't give up on us and you know just and I love being able to proclaim that every Sunday. Mm. Like it's just it's a huge privilege. It's a huge responsibility, but I love it. I love how much it changes me. I love that when I'm doing that, I feel completely like myself. Mm. I feel completely at ease with what I'm supposed to be doing in life. And uh, I just love it. I love preaching so much. Um, and it's really funny that... I really have not had a whole lot of formal training. I mean... I ask a lot of questions. I consult a lot of people that have had a lot of training. Um, but I just feel like that when I sit down to write my sermons, God always points me in the way I should go. Mm. And I do. I, I consult a lot of commentaries. I am devouring N.T. Wright's commentaries right now. love them so much. Um, but I really... I feel like it's it's the place where consistently God meets with me. Mm. And that that's huge. Like mm. when I feel like I'm so frustrated in my prayer life or I'm frustrated in like just my daily like personal things that I'm praying about or a parishioner slipped up or I'm having to do this really stressful thing when I sit down to write my sermon, God is always faithful to meet with me there. And so it's just really important like mm. it just really ties everything together for me I love that what would you say is the most challenging part of what you're doing right now people um it's so hard to not be able to be the one that saves them mm. um to not be the one that um sanctifies them to not be the one that I can only keep putting God's love in their life. I can only keep telling them that God loves them. I can only keep telling them that there is a better way and that we're here to help you and we love you. So heartbreaking to watch people wrestle mm. with their sin. Um, 
it's the flip side of the coin that it's so rewarding to watch people succeed um, and make commitments and live a changed life. Um, but I think that it really is the hardest part. Um, there's a large drug culture in Cushing, which might be a little bit surprising, but um, it's a very transient town because of oil. And um, so there's a lot of drug issues and several of my parishioners just can't can't overcome that and um when I pray for them I I think Lord just take, I don't even know how to pray you know I it just it breaks my heart and people also are just frustrating in general sometimes they do things that are hurtful or they don't even know they're being hurtful you know they're they're just doing their thing um and so as a person that is very like I would not call myself an empath but other people have Mm -hmm. so as a person that's very in tune to other people's emotions it's really hard for me when people are not in tune to my emotions Mm. like I've often said to my husband, how do they know that didn't hurt my feelings? Like, how can they not know that? Yeah. Um, and he's like, because they're not you. <laughs> right. Um, because it's un- <laughs> unrealistic to expect people to know what you're thinking. <laughs> um, but I think that's probably the thing I wrestle with the most is just, okay, so people are going to do things that make sense to them that are good for them, but are not necessarily good for the church or good for me. And so how do I stay committed to them Mm -hmm. when they're doing things that are not good for them, that are not good for relationship, that are not good for community? Mm -hmm. Um, I had, we had to have a conversation with someone like that, where we were just like, look, we are doing these things as a community and when you say things that are very divisive and um, argumentative and you won't let it go and you won't let other people speak in that um, you are working against what we're trying to do Mm. and it wasn't you know nobody I didn't kick anybody out or anything but it was just no we have this very clear like mission that we're trying to be inclusive and a place for discussion in a place for openness and vulnerability and people cannot be vulnerable around you because you hurt them. So um, that's the hardest part, I think, is trying trying to figure out how, how do I love people and hold them accountable at the same time? Mm. Because both of those things are my job. So how do I, how do I love people and make sure 100% 100% all day, every day, that they know you are loved, you are accepted, we want you here. Mm-hmm. Please come be a part of what we're doing. Please come meet with the God that can help you. Mm-hmm. We want to be agents of that God. We want to be reflections of that God. But that God also has some things that he requires of us, mm-hmm. and one of them is right relationships and when you do these things, you're not living in right relationship. And so I love you and I want you here and God loves you and he wants you here. 
um, but we've got to be praying and working together and seeing how can we how can we work on those things mm-hmm. you know and so I'm always looking for new ways to love people better mm-hmm. to work harder on that but it's definitely the most challenging part because people are challenging and sure yeah what inspires you to stay in the church of the Nazarene what is it that's keeping you here well several things I think um one I have studied church history I've looked at the past our denomination is a denomination of passion and excitement. Phineas Brzee, I can't read his stuff without getting fired up. Like, Mm -hmm. the people that founded our church were passionate people, passionate about the poor, passionate about loving um, and inclusion and all of the things that I I align myself with. And so I know that that's there. I know that's in the core of our church. I also recently um, just read a biography on Phoebe Palmer mm. and love her, um, hashtag goals, you know. Um, but I think when I read that, I realized that you can be an agent of change. You, as one person, can affect change. You can work within a system and make it better. Mm. Um, and I think that's why I stay is because I like the system. It has good bones, as people would say. Yeah. Um, it is, in some ways, it is all I've ever known. But in other ways, like, I don't want to know anything else. I think that we have work to do. But when I talk to my pastor friends in other denominations, so do they. Mm. You know? Um, and... Um, sure, maybe I could go somewhere that's more accepting of women in ministry, but I'd rather help our church be more accepting of women in ministry. You know, I'd rather, because then that's two denominations maybe where there was only one. Or, you know, you're increasing. I'm making it easier for a lot of women, not just me or whatever. So um, what inspires me to stay is that there are other people that care. There are other people that work just as hard, that are willing to have the right conversations, that are willing to write books and do podcasts and um, preach and work in our schools and our seminaries. Um, They're working tirelessly. And if they care so much, then so can I. And Mm -hmm. it's an empowering thing um, to think about. I also really just have a passion for mentoring and for helping people become what God has for them. Um, Mostly because um, Tim Crutcher did that for me. He looked at (laughs) a snot-nosed freshman who thought, I really did think I had it all figured out. Um, And he saw more. And he saw that with God's eyes, and he faithfully, consistently represented God in my life. And he called me out and said, you can be more. Mm. And I think he may have been the first person to ever say that to me. Instead of, you're not enough, 
you can be more. You can do more. You can be a senior pastor. You can preach. All of these things are available to you um, if you'll believe in yourself. And he just did that over and over and over again. And he still does that for me. And, um, like, out of that sense of being really mentored, I just had that passion for mentoring. And I think that the Church of the Nazarene, one of the things we do well is know each other. Mm. I mean, you can't go anywhere. I think somebody already mentioned that on the podcast at some point, but you can't go anywhere without not knowing, finding, knowing another Nazarene, or they know your grandparents or, you know, whoever. Like, we know each other. Mm. We're a network. And I think that sets up really well to do the mentoring thing really well. Mm. Because what happened, um, I have a young lady that I'm mentoring right now that's a, um, will be a sophomore at SNU. And the reason we got hooked up is because Crutcher met her and was like, she needs a senior, female senior pastor to mentor her. Will you do this? You know, we know each other. Mm. We can connect each other. Mm. Um, and we have, the, we have the capability to do powerful things through those kinds of relationships. And so, like, that excites me to stay. Like, where, where will that go? How can I, how can I do that bigger, better, different, you know? Yeah. So, yep. If somebody is interested in your story or some of the work that you're doing, um, just want to ask you questions about being a female senior pastor, where can they find you? Um, Facebook. Uh, they could definitely find me on Facebook. I am, um, also on Twitter. I don't know my Facebook handle, so I'm sorry about that. But um, I am uh, Pastor Rachel with two R's, so P-A-S-T-O-R-R-A-C-H-E-L on Twitter. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah, it's been great. Really loved having you. Appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been awesome.